everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. So I'm so happy that you're here, you guys. Ugh, this is why I clapped. It's like I had to welcome you with a clap. Um, because today we're kicking off a brand new year, brand new decade, and a brand new series. And I just am telling you right now, you're going to love it. So obviously, we've just kind of wiped the slate clean again and turned the page in our calendar. We're in 2020. So we're thinking about who am I going to be? Not just this year, who am I going to be this decade? Right? What's ahead of me? What is this? What's in store? So I thought there was probably no better way to start the year than to seek guidance from some people who have come before us and have deeply paved the way. Um, They have laid a lot of tracks down that we have walked on. And so right now in this new series, we are talking to women and men who are leaders in the faith, some kind of in this broad sort of faith space, some in the church. We've known them for decades and they have shown us over and over that they can handle some of our deepest questions and lend leadership to these really big spaces. And that's what we need. We need kind of a high capacity right now. And so um, we are going to be looking to leaders who have seen some things and they have the perspective to back it up. Guys, today's episode is so dear. I don't know how else to describe it. It is so dear. It is so encouraging. There's a moment that it is so tender and fragile that, well, you'll hear, hear me sniffling in the background because it just pushed me right into tears. And Ah, this is just going to be nurturing to you. I'm happy that you're listening today because you're going to walk away feeling nurtured and loved and encouraged because my first guest in this series is someone that we know, we love, we hold so impossibly precious to us. He has been this very warm and humble and discerning presence for such a long time. And I'm glad he's here. He's been called America's pastor by Christianity Today. Reader's Digest called him best preacher in America. New York Times said this is one of the most influential leaders in social media. So, of course, I'm talking about Max Licato. Um, Max has been in ministry for decades and he's the teaching pastor at Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, where you guys, he has served for more than 30 years. Uh, the kind of longevity is so rare. This is bonkers. I mean, this, what I'm about, this sentence is so bonkers. He has sold more than 100 million books. What? 100 million. Because Max has this way of communicating something so significant and profound, but in a way that is so approachable um, and generous. And he's funny too, which you're going to see, which is so great because even an iconic teacher um, can make us laugh. And his most recent book is called How Happiness Happens, Finding Lasting Joy in a World of Comparison, Disappointment, and Unmet Expectations, which we'll talk a little bit about. But I also talk, we talk about a lot. 
He talks about some real sorrow in his childhood and where how exactly Jesus met him in it. It's so impossibly precious. Um, we talk about his voice in culture right now, which he has raised um, with humble but profound leadership as he has called things to task. I asked him about that, um, the future of the church. I have asked him about how are we ever going to come together? How is there ever going to be healing in our culture? It's all in here, you guys. Um, and it was really impactful for me and I know it will be for you. So welcome to the podcast in 2020. Welcome to a new decade. Welcome to this series about faith icons. I hope that it serves you well. I hope that you walk away stronger, encouraged, challenged, um, and deeply moved by what we have to learn from some of the greatest leaders in our generation. So without any further ado, here is my amazing conversation with the incomparable Max Licato. It is a real, like, feel, I feel it's a lucky day for me. I'm so happy to have you on the show today, Max. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you don't know how honored I am. I am just so thrilled. I uh, I think so highly of you. Uh, you just you energize me oh. uh, when I listen to your to listen to your podcast. Yeah. Uh, the other day, I caught myself needing to get out of the car, but I was listening to your podcast, and I just sat and I just sat and I just sat. Uh, you, you do that. You make it so easy and delightful and. And yet profound at the same time. And, Thank uh, you. What a nice you've thing a to real, say. Real skill, real skill for this. And, Thank uh, you. And your oh heart. my goodness. And you know what else I like, Jen, is you, you bring me in touch with a, a circle of, of believers that yeah. um, uh, I might not typically uh, have contact with. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you, you expand my circle, mm. and that's good for me. And uh, I don't really like uh, my preconceptions to be tested. <laughs> sure, who does? <laughs> it's, good, it's good. It's good for me. Uh, and sometimes when I listen to your podcast, I feel stretched tighter mm. than a trampoline. Skin. Sure, you know, it's just yep. kind of. Uh, uh, but but it's good. It's good, and uh, I I really need that, and I I appreciate it. Oh, that is so kind to say. Thank you for that. And you've touched on a handful of things in there that I really want to unpack with you. I was just telling you before we started recording just how much your work has meant, your ministry has meant to me and just millions of us for so long. And and one thing that you have is this incredible um, longevity and this very long story of like grace and love and mercy, which is so increasingly rare. And so we are very interested today um, to sort of mine the depths of your experience and learn from that. But I, I wonder if, if you would be so kind. Uh, most of my listeners obviously know who you are and um, have for years, but um, I would love to hear first, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind, about kind of where you are right now in this stage of your life. What's going mm -hmm. on in your, in your family, in your home, in your ministry? What you're focusing on? We kind of want to know what is today's max. Well, I um, the big the big news in in our family is the era of grandchildren, uh, oh. and they really do live up to their expectations. I mm, mean, they great. just they're just so great. <laughs> and uh, we have we have two uh, grandchildren, and one of them happens to be named Max, and nice. so I, he's my hero. You know, sure. he's a, he turns two 
He's about to turn <laughs> two, and his big sister is Rosie. And uh, they only live about 10 minutes from us in San Antonio. Oh, that's nice. Uh, I'm still at the same church. Yeah. I've, I've been at the Oak Hills Church in San Antonio since 1988. Wow. I've moved here, moved here from Brazil. And uh, and then we just just stayed here. And uh, I think that's going to be part of our conversation, you know, is is uh, in terms of longevity and and uh, uh, avoiding cynicism and keeping faith fresh. Um, uh, Part of that is is this church uh, that has uh, put up with me all these years. Mm. Right now, I'm in a role at the church that we call teaching pastor. Yeah. And that means that I'm not in charge of the staff anymore, mm-hmm. which is great for me and really great for them. And I'm learning. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I, My exciting thing these days is a, a greater love and appreciation for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like my heart has been activated uh, to, to a deeper appreciation for what he does and how mm-hmm. desperately we need him or her, however you want mm-hmm. to call it, the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. And uh, it, so that that's a nutshell right there. That's uh, great. My golf game still stinks. Sure. Uh, and my, my dog still loves me. That is that is a wonderful synopsis. Well, I would love to, before we kind of knock into some of this other stuff, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what you're discovering about the Holy Spirit. And if, did that have sort of a genesis in your life? Or um, was yeah. there an impetus for a real renewed focus there or what what does that look like also pragmatically for you it it comes out of a um this last year i think we really need some help uh Hmm. in our in the way faith is being lived out in the united states there's just so so much controversy and and especially with an election year coming up it's just so much oh it's just nauseating that yes it, it it it's, it's discouraging. It is. And as I was praying about this early on, it just really dawned on me that what we need is revival. I mean, mm-hmm. not revival in the sense of you got to join my church, sure. but revival in the sense of a renewed love for Christ, a renewed power to live out our lives. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that led me into a, a time in, of prayer uh in which I needed that in my own life. I was dry and I felt like I was getting bitter and cynical and uh, angry. And and so I began praying Mm. for a fresh uh, downpour of the Holy Spirit and uh, 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 received a a real gift or a visitation of the Spirit in July of of 2019. What it has done for me, Jen, is remind me that this thing we're a part of is supernatural. It's supernatural. And, Mm. And and I, I think I've been to every possible church growth seminar. Sure. In, you know, I bet you have. And tried every trick yeah. and uh, pondered every controversy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, when it comes right down to it, what infected and empowered the church as recorded in the book of Acts was just the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, this, that was it. This supernatural downpour. And, uh, and so I'm praying for that. I really right. am. I'm praying for some type of supernatural visitation from God upon my heart and upon all of us. And so I, I think I'm as energized and optimistic as I ever have been, but not because we as a, a group of ecclesi- ecclesiastical leaders have got it figured out. In fact, sure. I think we're kind of at each other's throats like that's we've right. never been. But that's a good thing. 
Because when we're in the storm, Christ shows up walking on the water, mm-hmm. and I'm, pr- I'm praying that something like that's going to happen. That's really encouraging to hear um, that that path in has renewed your um, your optimism and your hope. I feel like that's we're so depleted of hope and optimism right now, and um, almost just feel like the tail is wagging the dog in all the wrong ways for the for the faith community. And so, um, hearing you say, as someone who's been faithful for so long, that even with you in this seasoned space uh, of of maturity, still can your hope can still be renewed, and cynicism will not have the last word is incredibly encouraging. And I think that gives us a real north star to reach for. As you mentioned, we're coming up on just a, just a, what we know is going to be a hard year. We know 2020 is going to just be full of contention and, um, well, just going to run the gamut. And so to that end, I want to say that it's been really refreshing to have your voice as part of the larger cultural conversation these last handful of years. I'm really grateful for the leadership that you've chosen to lend and the way in which you did it. Um, I wonder if you could talk for that about that for just a moment, why it has been important for you to, to lead in kind of a public way, to comment in kind of a public way about things that we're going on in the world, um, even knowing that this may be a hard thing to discuss, or this may be, be a challenging conversation to center. Um, and yet you've done it in your really signature way with so much mercy, so much love and tenderness. And so, um, I- I'm curious if you could talk about that decision that you've made to sort of step into some certain places publicly. Well, you're sure making it sound like I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm, you're very kind, but I'm as perplexed as anybody else is mm, about this. Yeah. And I've never seen anything like these days. I mm. never have. Uh, I, I, um, I, I don't like. I don't like the way that uh, the gospel is being interwoven mm. with. Uh, with a political party or a political stance. It yes. just scares me. That mm. part really troubles me. Uh, well, I think, I think, for example, I think about, I don't know, let me just imagine a millennial, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, who's uh, passing through a time of desperation. Yeah. Uh, and, and they recall somebody saying, try Jesus, or they recall the name mm. Jesus. Sure. And they say, where do I go? And when they go and look online, yeah. uh, they are they they walk away with the impression hmm. that to be a Jesus follower mm-hmm. is to be uh, to be beholden mm-hmm. to a certain uh, political platform. Sure, yeah, and that's disastrous, Jen. That's, that's right. disastrous. Yeah, to be a Jesus follower is to be in love, as you are, as you state so clearly, mm-hmm. with the just the most fascinating, wonderful being to ever walk the planet. Yes, who who. Who, who lived a life that's a model for a life that we can live, who, who died a death, I believe, for the redemption of humanity, who, who defeated death so that, so that we can be assured that our death sure. is defeated too, and is preparing us for a kingdom of which this earth will be replenished and, and our purpose will be reestablished. And we'll be, it's just a, it's the most wonderful story. It's a great story. And for that to be... For that to be reduced down, mm. and for somebody to think that to be a Christian is 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 to align themselves with a 
with mm-hmm. what's being said, you sure. know, on the talk shows. That's that's what troubles me, right. you know. And, and so, so it's really out of that uh, concern mm-hmm. that that the, the the times that I have weighed in, uh, I I have I have. I have weighed in. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really concerned about the character of, uh, I have high regard for the Oval Office itself. Sure. Uh, but I think leadership is character and leadership sets tone. And I, I, I feel, I feel kind of like our whole country is going through, a di- our parents are going through a divorce and we're hmm. the kids. Wow. That's a great way to put it. Need, we almost need a marriage, a marriage counselor, yes. a family therapy session. To yes. sit us all down and, and to help us talk it through. Mm. So I, I, I that that's where my heart is on this. I don't have any easy solutions. No, there are. But if many. I could, if I could, if I could sit down and talk to that millennial and say, "Hey, don't Jesus, this is not Jesus. That's don't, great. don't. Oh my goodness. And I don't know how long it's going to take uh, for us to disentangle from this. Yeah. I know. I thank you for everything you just said. I that's. So encouraging and instructive, and I've I've been really moved by your um, by your leadership in that space, and and that's my hope too. You know, I was mentioning to you earlier. I just have a bunch of kids, and they're all in their teens and early adulthood. Oldest is about to be twenty two, and I so deeply want to hand them the baton of faith. Um, and yeah. have them know what it is to be dazzled by, what it is to be fascinated by Jesus, and that it's all still good. The good, the good news is still really good. It always was, um, and it always will be. And and so I, I do feel a real mantle, a real sense of responsibility. Because um, I'm sort of in the middle. I'm 45, so I'm kind of in the middle of this mm-hmm. leadership generation. Um, such a such a responsibility to help some of this disentanglement, like you just so eloquently mentioned. Uh, and I'm hopeful for it. I really am. I. It helps me. I don't know if you ever think like this, but it helps me to have this long view of history, mm-hmm. both political mm-hmm. history and the history of the church um, and mm-hmm. of like God's hand in every generation. And that, that is when I can kind of bring my head down out of the atmosphere and go, I don't believe that we're going to be the generation in which God just falls off his throne right out of the sky. I don't think we can do it. I don't think we have it in us. Um, I think he's going to make it. Uh, I think he's going to survive us. Uh, And so just knowing that the through line of what matters and lasts, it's managed its way all the way to our doorstep through every single century. And so the best we can do in here is be faithful. And, um, and and lead as faithfully as we can, which you've done for so long. I want to talk about one of your books, um, How Happiness Happens. It's a great title. How It's called How Happiness Happens, Finding Lasting Joy. Because I appreciate the subtitle because you really dismantle anybody's maybe knee-jerk response. Like, well, this just feels too, this must be easy for someone. Because the subtitle is Finding Lasting Joy in a World of Comparison, Disappointment, and unmet expectations. Now you're singing our song. Now we're like, oh, I have a place here. Um, you've got a whole chapter on accepting others. This kind of goes back to something you were just talking about. Um, obviously, clearly, in this world, I mean, it, not just in this world, in the church, and then in our subcultures, and then the subcultures of those faith subcultures. We are not going to agree with everybody. 
people are not going to always agree with each other or with us or the things that we hold near and dear. And so we got to find a way through because that's just a, that's a guaranteed um, rule that we are not all going to have unanimity on all things. And so um, what it feels like the low hanging fruit offered to us is if you don't agree with me exactly, then you're against me. (laughs) Right. Um, And so here's something that you wrote in that book that sheds a lot of light. You wrote, we are creatures of comfort and creatures of habit. We like the familiar and predictable. We like agreement over conflict, peace over disruption. These are the things that make us feel happy, content, and at rest. And all these things, comfort, familiarity, agreement are achievable. True. As long as we interact only with people who are just like us, people who are part of the same political party, church denomination, ethnic group or country, people who like what we like and dislike what we dislike. You nailed it. That's 100 percent. There we can live, I guess. So how do we how do we push through that? How do we how do we disrupt that very what feels like stable, peaceful space in order to really, really reach toward a wider table? I I, I think this is such an important topic. Uh, and so thank you so much for for bringing it up. Uh I think I think from the big picture, Jen, uh, we don't have the option. Okay, so let's talk about believers, and then we'll talk about relationship with unbelievers. Okay. Uh, with with believers, uh, I I don't I didn't pick you. Hmm. You know, you didn't pick me. Right. God picked us both. It's hmm. good. And so so the question is not uh, are we going to get along. The question is how are we going to get along. Hmm. It's it's like my uh, relationship in my family. I'm one of four siblings. Uh, I'm the baby in the family. Uh, my older brother has already passed over into heaven, but he and I did not get along that well. Yeah, <laughs> boy, you couldn't be more different than my hmm. brother and I were. Uh, uh, yet I did not. When it came to t- sitting down at the table, yeah. uh, I did not get a vote. Uh, hmm. My That's right. my my parents. Uh, created him. We come from the same uh, DNA. And so, uh, biblically speaking, we're never told to create unity. We're just told to maintain unity. Great point. And, and, and so, you and I, uh, when, when it comes to the table, whether literally the Lord's table or figuratively the community table, uh, you're my sister mm-hmm. and I'm your brother. And, and that, that is stated. That's, yep. that's grounded. Uh, you may be uh, an Episcopalian. I may be a wild-eyed charismatic. I mean, mm. it's just a pull. I don't know. Sure. You know, I'm, but if you and I both call God our God and Jesus our Savior, brother, the Holy Spirit our power, uh, the Father our strength, you know, if we agree on those big rocks— yeah. Then we got to figure out a way to 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 be together, and and so I think that's step number one. Mm-hmm. Is it is it? It's not an option. I mean, yeah. I've got to, and, yeah. and So and so then I think step number two is we got to keep talking, and mm-hmm. and I think you and I share a deep concern. I've heard on your program, mm-hmm. our our tendency to silo. Sure. Silo. Uh, I've I've often used the word cluster. Yep. We cluster. We cluster, and we like we're birds of a feather. Yeah. You know? And uh, and the downside of living in a a country with great religious freedom is hard to state that there would be a downside, but there is a downside. Yeah, and that is all these churches pop up. 
Hmm. And so we so we go to the people who are just like us, and we assume that that is it. They they've got a corner, or we've got a corner, and we've cracked a code on a certain teaching or or philosophy. I really think that uh, the division of the church is the that division is is really been the the tool of the devil through the yeah. ages, and our inability to uh to to work together to communicate, to love one another, to model this for others has, has, well, we've, we just, we're paying a, paying a price for it, but it's not too late. It's not too late. And and if we can come together and realize that what is at core is, is, is the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, uh, and, and then let everything else be of secondary importance and learn the beauty of disagreeing agreeably then a wonderful movement can break out. But as long as, as we're picking at each other, as long as we're doubling up our fists, as long as we're speaking uh, uh, about one another in a way that does not honor God, well, well no wonder nobody wants to, I mean, sure. want to be, who wants to join a table where by squabbling? Sure. So this, is, this, is, this is a big deal. And, and, I and agree. Then, can I just add real quickly? Please. To unbelievers, we can be respectful. Hmm. We can be respectful. We we do not have the right to to be arrogant and, and to point a finger. Of all the people who should not be arrogant, it is those of us who believe we're saved by grace. Right, <laughs> right. We we do, we believe that if it weren't for God's grace, we would have spun out of control by now. Totally, and it doesn't so, even make so, sense. So we of all people should be humble. Walking humbly through the world and and not not casting stones, mm. uh, and so I, I I think I think we could just do a little bit better. I agree, uh, but I'm hopeful that we will. Well, you know that's been sort of a central part of your messaging for a long time. Really, that is you 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 cashed in your chips on that idea, on that value, on that deep undercurrent of faith a long time ago. And I really appreciate your consistency on that because you have been saying that. And yet now I feel at this exact season, we're in such need of it. I mean, not that we ever weren't, but particularly right now, I'm so grateful that you have developed such deep roots into that system, into that tree of humility and of goodwill toward one another and, um, and, and kind disagreement, which is going to happen. That's I a think good there's, price. there's this idea that maybe the end game that we're hoping for is that if we can just make our case strong enough and clear enough, we'll just get everybody to agree with us or to see mm-hmm. our, see it our way or, uh, and, but frankly, that is not, that's not it. I think we've got to really challenge the rules of the system, which is we may get to the end of the whole thing and still very deeply have different ideas about it or different convictions or beliefs. And even there, we can be generous in nature toward one another. We can be kind hearted. Our words can be beautiful and we can still love one another. It is possible um, to get to that end game, even in a family that has a lot of different ideas. And you've, that's what you've told us. You've taught us that. I try, but I've, I've screwed it up a lot too. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I, um, I, I see, uh, two days ago, I went to downtown San Antonio, uh, to have lunch with a pastor of a downtown church, um, uh, 
that is uh, uh, caught up in the uh, uh, controversy mm-hmm. over whether or not to have uh, gay marriages. Oh yeah, uh-huh. and and so they've they've landed on the side of yes. Okay, they they will mm-hmm. they will have gay marriages, and uh, uh, they have about two hundred active members. Okay, but listen listen to this, they feed about 800 homeless people a week. Beautiful. About 800 homeless people a week. Now, I I didn't go online to see what is said about this church in Mm -hmm. social media. I would imagine it's not always positive Mm -hmm. because of the stance they've taken on gay marriage. Mm -hmm. While I was with him and meeting their staff and walking through their building, that topic never came up. Mm -hmm. I was just fascinated at and humbled hmm. at their ability to care for the homeless and the poor. Right. And we good. connected right there. We connected yeah. right there. And, 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 and there's fellowship there. Yeah. There's fellowship. Th- th- does that make sense? We, oh, 100%. I mean, if anything has ever been clear in Scripture, as we like to say that everything is, it's that our part of our faith community's responsibility is to care deeply for the poor and for yeah. the marginalized and hurting in our communities. Yes, it, of course yeah. there's fellowship around that. Well, and and so I, I left thinking, okay, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, there's probably a lot of things that our churches uh, uh, that that where we're different, where we're yeah. different. Sure. Uh, and yet, for for us to uh, dismiss, blanketly dismiss, mm-hmm. m- m- large portions of our church family. Again, getting back to point A, and that yeah. is, we don't get a choice. He, yeah. he, yeah. We, we worship the same God, That's right. and we That's would right. come to the same table. Yeah. Uh, we might practice our faith slightly differently on some things, and we're still all working it through, by the way. We're Absolutely. still working it through. Uh, but we got to applaud uh, w- what what the uh, different aspect por- mm-hmm. por- When somebody's really living out their faith, we need to make a big deal out of that rather than, rather than point out the areas in, in which we're different. If we can start doing that, we might begin getting around the table and talking through some of these things uh, in a way that would be healthier uh, for other people. That is a great story and a great example. I love it. You mentioned just a second ago something I'd like to hear you talk more about. You talked about kind of the big rocks, and I I learned that you have what you say, three big rocks that uh, (laughs) sort of form the cornerstone of your faith and have helped you be happy in ministry and stay in harmony with God's church. Um, That feels important right now. I, with so much like kind of noise and everything swirling around at all times, everything um, so, um, everything just feels so tight um, and, and, and so volatile. It feels like um, kind of coming to something simple, finding a simplicity in our faith, sort of these through lines of the big things is really useful um, as as a great filter through which we can consider everything in front of us right now. So I wonder if you can talk about what those are, those big rocks to you, um, and have they always been the same? Um, or ha- do they shift a little bit according to just the season of life and ministry you're in? How much time do you have? <laughs> For you, all day. All day. <laughs> uh, well, we're talking about our list of non-negotiables, right? Yeah. Uh, and I believe we've got to keep that list as tight and as yeah. brief as possible. That's great. Uh, 
what what happened to me, the super short version Mm -hmm. is I was a mess when I came to Christ. I know some people say that, but I really was. Mm -hmm. You would not have wanted your daughter to go out with me. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was not a good man. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I came to faith. I decided I wanted to become a, a missionary. And to get into Brazil as a missionary, you had to have a seminary degree. So I went and got a seminary degree. And in the midst of that seminary degree, I had a wonderful professor of New Testament. And the day that really this all crystallized for me was the day that he uh, led us into an exercise in which he uh, put a uh, a, a um, target up on the, back then we used blackboards. I know we don't anymore, but with chalk, he drew up like your, uh, you know, an archer would use shooting at a target. And, uh, and he began asking us, what are the big issues of the Christian faith? Well, you get a bunch of seminarians talking about that, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. Uh, so people were throwing up everything from the, uh, end times to, uh, the charismatic movement, to authority of the Bible, to uh, uh, role of women in the church, you know, just a variety of things. And so he made a list and then he said, okay, now place, which one of these goes on the bullseye? Which one of these is the core? Which one of these are the most important? Or which of these are absolutely essential for fellowship and and moving forward in faith? Now, there's a good question. There's a question. Well, uh, he then, it, we all try to place them around, but you know what? None of them made it to the center. Hmm. None of them made it to the center. He said, okay, so what goes on the center? And and as we're in this interview, I just opened my Bible to the passage he had us open ours to, mm-hmm. and, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and this is the Apostle Paul. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12 and then more than 500 of the followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. So, so I think if the apostle Paul had been in that class, he would have written death, burial, and resurrection. Hmm. And placed it right there in the core. Yeah, and and that made that has simplified my faith, Jen, for so many years, because it has enabled me to uh, have have legitimate differences. Yeah, with people with whom I have great respect. Sure, and and land in two different spots on very difficult issues, but still find ample room for uh, for fellowship and love, and respect. Uh, I I think what we tend to do is we each create our own list of uh, essentials, and that list gets longer and longer and longer and longer and gets so long that we look up and we say, nobody shares my list. Totally. (laughs) When it should should be the opposite, I think. Mm. I think I can find fellowship with the Richard Rohr. Right? Yeah, of course. Even though we come from two entirely different worlds. But, but to your point, when that is what our faith is organized around, that's enough. 
that's it. That's the core of it. That's the good news of it. It's the truth of it. And it's not that the things um, in the second and third and fourth tiers don't matter because they do matter and they're worthy of our attention and our discussion and our robust even debate sometimes around it, you know, for the, for the sake of the good of the world and, and, and faithfulness, but that's that the middle and that's enough to hold. And I have found that to be profoundly true in my life too. Um, some of the people I hold most dear, that's, that's basically our three pronged similarities. We, we depart from there and yet they are precious beloved to me. I learn from them. I respect them. I learn from their mentorship and modeling and, and it's, it's all possible. I, I hope that's what listeners hear today, that that's not a pie in the sky idea. Um, or approach to unity inside of faith. It's it's very, very possible, and it's very beautiful. You know, there's a beautiful story in the Gospel of Mark about the disciples who came up to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we saw somebody using your name to yeah. force demons out of a person. We told him to stop. Yes, right. <laughs> it's great. It's great. That story. It's in Mark chapter 9, if somebody yeah. ever wants to read it. And then he says, we told him to stop because he does not belong to our group. That's right. Is that not funny? That's crazy. Right they, they're in the presence of Christ. They're telling somebody, well, because he's not in our group, we're telling this person to, you know, to quit it. Hmm. But Jesus had a good word for them. You know, he said, examine the fruit and examine the faith. He said, be careful. Jesus, the next verse said, don't stop him because anyone who uses my name to do powerful things will not easily say evil things about me. Hmm. I, I, I think we do ourselves a great favor when we resign from the posture of having to control everything in the church. Oh, amen. Christ is in charge. He's the one building the yes. church. We're, we're still going to love one another. We're still going to have vigorous debates and, and discussions. Uh-huh. We're going to recognize that we're going to sometimes land in two different spots, but that's okay. Yeah, that's, okay. that's right. Jesus said, don't stop him. I'm in charge of him. And as uh-huh. long as he's doing good things, uh, I can I can put it to use. Golly, that is just as true and relevant this very exact day as it was the day he said it. That mm. holds so much instruction for me. Uh, thanks for bringing that particular bit of the story up. I, I, I find that challenging in all the best ways. I want to talk about something else. Um, I think you might be one of the most prolific writers in the Northern Hemisphere. And it is, it is really something, Max. I, I commend because, of course, I'm a fellow writer. I know the amount of work that is. I I understand exactly what that translates to in terms of blood, sweat, and tears. And so, the fact that you've kept your hand to that work for so long is marvelous. So, the book you have coming out in a few weeks is called Jesus, the God Who Knows your name. Uh, You said something in that book that really intrigued me. You wrote, when we learn more about Jesus, we understand more of who we were created to be. I like that. And I would love to hear you talk about about that a little bit more, because what I notice in my community is that a sense of identity is very fractured right now. And there we've received many competing and conflicting messages from the time we were young about who we are and who we are meant to be. And so um, you offering sort of a through line here 
on on kind of getting that square and straight, I find very important for right now. Can you talk more about that? I can. I can. And can I do so by uh, being a bit uh, honest about uh, 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 the moment I met Christ? Please do. If I can. Uh, it was really the stormiest season of my life. I was I was young. I was 12 years of age. You know, I was just old enough to know baseball and football and bike riding. I, I remember I had a crush on a girl and I had a bottle of English leather cologne. You know, I was just in that 12, 13 year uh, age grab. And uh, I, I was I was old enough to learn a few things, but I was not old enough to process what came my way uh, when I was 12. And that was uh, to be sexually molested at the hands of an adult man. Uh, he, he, he came into my world under the guise of a mentor. He had befriended several families in our small town. I grew up in a little town in West Texas, a little map dot of a town. Uh, he was very friendly. Uh, he was charming. He was generous. What no one knew is that he had an eye out for young boys Yeah. and, and he'd have us over to his house for burgers and take us on drives in his truck. He took us hunting and fishing and he yeah. ta taught us jokes and answered all our questions about girls. And he owned uh, the kind of magazines that my dad didn't allow. And, yeah. and uh, but then he would do and made us do things that I, I don't think is appropriate for me to repeat, but mm. I'll never forget. Sure. Of course. And, uh, one weekend camp out, he took us uh, way out in the country and in his pickup truck and uh, among the, pack of tents and sleeping bags were a few bottles of whiskey mm. and, and he drank his way through the weekend and he worked his way through the tents mm. of, of each boy. And he mm. told us not to tell our parents uh, because that would imply that we were to blame for his behavior. And he was keeping us from trouble, he said, by keeping a secret. He was a scoundrel. He was sure. a scoundrel. Yeah. Predator. Well, um, one one that weekend, Jen, I came home on a Sunday afternoon, uh, just feeling filthy, just filthy, and had no clue what to do with it. Uh, of course, I'd missed church that morning. Uh, my parents were act, at, very active in a church, and on that Sunday we'd had a communion service, and so if I ever needed a communion service, I needed one that day, and so I I, I staged my own little Eucharist. I waited until my mom and dad had gone to bed, and I went into the kitchen. I couldn't find any crackers in the fridge, but I found some potatoes from the Sunday lunch. I, I couldn't find any juice, uh, so I used milk, uh, and I placed the potatoes on a saucer, and I poured the milk into a glass. And right there in the kitchen, I celebrated the crucifixion of Christ, and and the redemption of my soul. Wow. I, I, I don't know if you can imagine this image of a pajama-clad, redhead, just just bathed, freckle-faced boy standing near the, the kitchen sink and breaking the potato and sipping the milk. But I want to tell you something, uh, and that is Jesus met me right there. He did. And, and don't ask me how I know he, he met me, but I just know he did. And it was very personal. And it's very supernatural. And, and that, that moment has meant more and more to me the older I have gotten. Because I have realized that Jesus can come into the deepest, darkest moments of life yes. and, and bring healing. Now, now Jen, this, this story 
is is meaningful to me because Jesus healed me right then at that yes. very moment. Uh, I, I I didn't have any lingering effects. That man, by the way, was chased out of our town. You and uh, I don't know whatever happened to him. Uh, uh, but it his it he Jesus healed me. He healed. And, and so when I think about Jesus, I, I think about a Jesus who can do that for people. Yes. Uh, who can do that. And, and I have a feeling that some of the listeners today are, are in those type of dark moments That's right. uh, in a marriage or in a, in a job or just in college uh, or, or hurt or brokenhearted or angry. And I, I just, oh, how I desire for people to sense that not a religion, not some type of fabricated emotional. I mean, look at that kid. He's got he's breaking bread with potatoes and yes. milk for crying yes. out loud. Yes. You know? yes. But it's his form. It is. It was my. It it was my the best prayer I could offer. It was the best prayer I could offer, and so I believe that Jesus hears us in those moments, and 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 that's the Jesus that I love. That's Jesus. I love, I, I, and and I know that we've messed up the communication of him, but he's he's bigger than our mess ups, and 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 that's my desire is is that people would would have that kind of healing in, in their lives, and uh, so thanks for letting me share that story. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm telling you what. Jesus is the reason I am still so committed to the game. I'm telling yeah. you, I just can't get away from that guy. And <laughs> um, and and for all the reasons that you just said, you know, I, I think back to what you spoke about a minute ago about sort of the cornerstones, just, you know, death, burial, resurrection. And what I, what keeps me coming back to Jesus is his, and then again, something else you said earlier, the supernatural way in which he sees through death, burial, and resurrection in our lives. You know, that dev- things die and they're they're in the grave even. And we think this, can't, this there's no life left in this. There's no way for this to um, to come back, to, to breathe air again. This'll, this will just stay six feet under. And yet in him, miraculously over things as as common as potatoes and a glass of milk, life returns. Like he can bring us back to life and he brings forth resurrection in really dead and dark places. And it's just real. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't real, I'd have walked away a long time ago because there's got to be easier work to do. (laughs) I got to be good at something else, you know, something just just let me skate through life. But that's what it is. And I really appreciate that profound story because um, that same powers available. I mean, to every single one of us, we're so loved by Jesus. I I think another thing that I love about him, um, when I look back at his life, the gospels, so incredibly hopeful for me always, was how deeply and radically inclusive he was. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been in the Bible my whole life. And so there's a, there's a, temptation, um, to just sort of skip over some of the stories. Cause I've heard them so many times and they've, they've been stripped of some of their power, um, just because they're familiar, but 
just the fact, like, for example, to pick one category of many, the fact that Jesus would never denigrate women and that he included them um, in his inner circle. He included them in his teachings. You know, he chose to teach on hillsides mm-hmm. instead of the inner sanctuary, the temple where women weren't allowed. And yeah. and he refused to um, to call them names like some of his contemporaries did mm-hmm. and treated them yeah. well above their cultural status at the time. Yeah, well, for um, Mary to sit at his feet. Oh, I mean, it's powerful stuff. Stuff. Oh. And it just was, it was so radical. Um, and so that is a real North Star for me as a leader to make sure that at least in that respect, I am working so hard at being more like Jesus. Um, and I'm looking around at the people groups who are easily um, denigrated, who um, are, they're called names, they are typecast typecasted, um, they are dehumanized or villainized, um, because that's just a real human tendency, which is to group people, put a label over them, and then make a judgment about the whole group um, that keeps them out or, or down. And so I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what you've learned as a pastor all these years, pastoring every kind of person. I mean, in your church, I am sure you've had every single type of person walk in your doors. Um, and what the power of inclusion has meant in the life of your church, and then like ultimately in your own personal faith. Well, uh, you, you, that little sermon you just gave, mm. should, I hope it's recorded and <laughs> it needs to be put on the internet. <laughs> the good news you know, is just, that's what I, we're doing here. I yes. know. <laughs> Duh, wake up, Max, of course. <laughs> you know, uh, what, what we need to do is have a weekend seminar sometime, Jen, and invite all our friends yeah. and call it what we love about Jesus. That's good. And just get together and talk about what we love about him. Uh, my, my, you know, yeah. you're right. The way he loved the Samaritan woman, the yes. way he intentionally, he intentionally positioned himself at the well. That's right. Cause he knew she'd be showing up. That's right. And the way he treated her with grace and truth, the way he stood up for the woman caught in the act of adultery. Oh my goodness. And you talk about an act of blatant sexism. Yeah. You know, where, where's the guy? Where's yeah. the guy? You know? And uh, how he defended her, how he said, no one condemns you. Neither do I condemn you. What a word. I mean, every time you turn the page uh, and, and, and then, and then uh, people, I, I, I really relate to people like Peter, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a, I, I'm hot and cold. Mm -hmm. I I make promises and then I break them. Oh, Sam, he's Uh, my favorite disciple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet of all the people, you know, who gets to stand up and preach on Pentecost, uh, the same one who had denied Christ 50 days earlier is preaching the greatest sermon in history 50 hmm. days later. Yeah. I mean, just these moments of new birth and fresh start. Yeah. Um, that's, it's just precious. Yes, it is. Uh, it is. It is. And still and still possible and still happening. It's all around us if we'll develop eyes to see it. Exactly. Um, to see these places where God is bringing forth new life constantly. In big ways and small ways. And of course, 
not just in our favorite group, which is, of course, the one we're in. Um, <laughs> but we're going to have to be forced to admit that he is deeply at work all over the world. Yeah. Um, in every community, in every culture. And he is very much in charge of his own of his own world. Very, very yeah. much in charge. I love it. To me, yeah. that's relieving. Yeah. That I, as you mentioned earlier, we don't have to police this. This is we not don't. ours. Um, this is not on our desk um, yeah. to, to police and organize what God is or is not doing in the world. Thank goodness. Yeah. We can just celebrate it. You know, uh, you asked about uh, things that I, that I learned along the way that helped me. Uh, yeah. well, one of them is before I went to Brazil, I served at a little church in Miami, Florida, and the senior pastor of the church fell under some criticism uh, because he accepted an invitation to speak at a church that was not like ours. Okay. It was it was a very sectarian criticism. Sure. And uh, he was he was so helpful to me in working that through. He said, Max, anytime anybody invites you to preach about Christ, regardless, if you can go, go. That made such perfect sense hmm. to me. Yeah. And and so I said, okay, I take that as my mantra. That's good. And so since then, anytime anybody invites me to come, and if they'll let me talk about Christ, I don't care how conservative or liberal they are. Sure. I don't care how apolitical or political they uh-huh. are. If the calendar permits, you know, that's always yeah. the challenge. But if the calendar permits, I'm, I'm going to go. And and through the years, I, well, early on, I was surprised how much criticism I got for that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't quite figure it out. But now I've kind of come to expect it. Right. Uh, but it, it, I think that's important, uh, for especially for teachers like you and me. Mm-hmm. If given the opportunity to talk about Christ, I, I think the devil would like to shut us up when we talk about Christ. And so we got to stand against that. And uh, we don't have to agree with, again, we're getting back to the, this kind of our theme today, yeah. isn't it? We don't have to agree with somebody just because we show up. Yeah. Uh, and what is, I'd uh, never uh, go anywhere. <laughs> really? You'd have to preach uh, in, in your living room, That's right? That's right. And even there, I don't, even there. some of my family members would have to walk out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, how funny. How we tend to cluster. That's how right. Cluster. It's a safe, <laughs> clusters are safe places. And, and, and I think we do so because there's so much fear in the world yeah. and we find, we find our, our, you know, homogeneous groups to be safe places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got to step out of that. I mean, what's the message of Christ? If he didn't step out of his world, who became flesh yeah. to enter right. our world and yes. live among us. And, uh, and, and, and that as, as Christ r- works his way into us and through us, let, let's just do the same. Oh. And we'll be better because of it. Absolutely. I want to ask you one more question before we wrap it up. I'm thinking about everybody listening today and um, I'm wondering if there isn't someone who's kind of hearing our conversation and considering Jesus and what it means to come to him and to abide in him. And, uh, and the thought process in their brain is you people just don't understand what I've done or what I've, where I'm at or the, what a complicated person I am right now, or, um, what I've lost or what I've experienced, um, where I failed maybe. And that coming to Jesus feels 
crazy, intimidating. Um, like I better get myself sort of shined up before I approach this person, this, this savior. And so what would you say to that person who feels reluctant that they feel like maybe they're the card that they have to play is to hide, um, instead of draw near? I'd say, I'm so sorry that life has been so hard. Me too. It really is. It, we just get beat up, man, we get beat up. And, um, if, if that person would allow me I would tell them the story about when Christ was on the cross and the person hanging next to him was a a man who was being crucified for some vile life that he had led. Mm -hmm. And uh, he began his moments hanging next to Christ by making fun of Christ with the other thief. Mm -hmm. But a few moments later, something in his heart changed. And of all things, he said, could you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Yeah. And Christ said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And, you know, there is so much gospel, so much good news in that story. Because I think about what that man, that thief, knew about Christ. He didn't know anything. That's right. <laughs> he didn't know anything. He knew that the he had a hunch. Yeah, he had that's a hunch right. That the, that the man hanging next to him had some solution to his miserable life and he and he prayed and and why did Christ save this man because this man had no he was about to die he couldn't be a, a leader in a church he couldn't you know write a check or or make a deposit or give a gift it, and here and and I think it's just so great that in heaven right now that thief is there yeah. and he and he, he he followed Christ into paradise. He was the first of the sheep to be rescued, uh, and he preceded all of us pastors and theologians and <laughs> scholars. Everybody yes. who's kind of you know great. got a corner on the market. The first one, the first benefactor, was this this crook who said, "Any chance you could put in a good word for me?" And Jesus said he would. And yeah. and and he, he, the bottom line, Jen, as you know, is that Jesus never says get cleaned up and then come in. He says, come in, I'll clean you up. He, he mm. takes, he says, come in. Totally. So, so I would just say to that person, uh, just cry out to the Christ, whatever form you understand him to be, whatever, whatever form you understand mm-hmm. him to be, because nobody understands everything about totally. him. Totally. And if it's just a tiny bit, just ask him for help and, uh, and trust and, and some wonderful things are going to happen. Yes. That's the perfect, that's the perfect ending. I want to ask you just three quick little questions. This is somebody that we're, these are three questions we're asking everybody in this faith series. Um, Just some of the greatest leaders in our time and your friends and contemporaries, of course. And um, so here's one of them. Uh, And just kind of top of your head, whatever comes to mind. Who is one of your, the biggest mentors in the faith for you? Hmm. I know. I, I had to say yeah. one because it's hard to pick. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a man I've never met. Uh, he's a he's a Presbyterian uh, uh, academic okay. uh, by the name of Dale Frederick Dale Bruner. Okay. And he wrote commentaries on the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John mm-hmm. that I love. I just cherish them. Uh, I've never had the privilege of meeting him. 
but I have read every word I think he has ever written. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of people have not heard of him, and I don't know how I stumbled across him. But I, I just, I, I'd love the chance to, to shake his hand someday. But uh, Frederick Dale Bruner, B-R-U-N-E-R. He's just, okay. uh, his, his commentary on John and Matthew are just godsends. I cannot wait to look those up. Well, everybody listening, we'll link over to him and his body of work. Uh, thank you for putting him on my radar. I am always looking for faithful pastors to sort of help walk me through scriptures just as a, as a preacher myself too. So thank you for that. Here's the next one. If you could ask God maybe a single question, um, what would you ask? Boy, I would ask him, uh, oh my goodness. That's a hard one. I'm it's honestly a, not sure what I would say. It's a great one. It's yeah. a great one. It's a great one. Um, I, w- I would ask him, um, okay, I, I'll probably change this five minutes from now and no say, worries. oh, I wish I'd thought of that. How are you going to wrap all this up? Oh, how good question. Wrap all this up? How, how, really, how yeah. are you going to do it? Oh, uh, is there going to be a, a thousand year reign? Is there going to be a, mm. a judgment? Is all that supposed to be literal or is mm. it symbolic? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not be, I'm not discouraged as I read that, uh, all the different interpretations of end times, but I'm genuinely curious yeah. and, and some teachers talk like they have it all figured out. Sure. I, I, I don't. I don't. So if I could ask him a question, I think yeah. I'd say, okay, tell me how it's yeah. going to work so I can tell everybody else and we'll quit. Fi- <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. I'm so curious too. What's, what's your, how's this going to do? How's this going? How's this going to um, end? Okay. Here's the last one. Um, this is actually a question that we ask every guest in every single series. And I, I read it in a book by Barbara Brown Taylor. So anyway, her question is, and you can answer literally however you want this. It can be as, as sincere and sobering, or it can be small and silly. You pick, um, the questions, what is saving your life right now? Mm. My grandchildren are just so such a source of life to me. I love them. Uh, I have a, I have an old Jeep that has no top on it. Uh-huh. That uh, makes me feel like I'm uh, 20 again when I'm driving around in it, and uh, that's fun. I've, I, and I've discovered CrossFit. Oh, did you? I did. Don't don't. I'm not saying that to impress because <laughs> I am the old man in the group. They lower all the weights. They put me over in a corner so that's I don't great. look too stupid. But I love it. I show up almost every day and uh, go through the workout, and it's a fun community. And uh, and so it it's a new part. Of, it's I've been at it about a year, and it's so much fun. Good for you, and I mean that sincerely. Good for you, <laughs> and all my friends who are involved in the CrossFit um, group say the exact same thing you just said, which is not only is it sort of an obvious health benefit, but it's a really special and unique community, uh, which is this great byproduct of your diligence that you get this kind of built-in group of cheerleaders and friends. Yeah. 
So good for you. I want to um, thank you so much, Max, for not just being on the show today, which is a real gift um, to me and to my listeners, but just um, being a leader in the church and in the world um, in this in this little short minute we all have on Earth. Um, I'm so grateful that I'm getting to share some planet space with you <laughs> and learn from your leadership. And I it, it means so much to me, and it has meant so much to my community too. Uh, you are very dear to us, and we see you, as you know, as one of our mentors and um, one of our pastors who've you've pastored us is what you've done from afar and through all the work that you've put into the world and all the ministry that you've been so faithful to complete. And so um, I want to, on behalf of my communication, just say we are incredibly grateful to all that you've taught us and all that you've led us for your just nonstop grace and humility, which is Boy, we miss that right now. And so when we can find our leaders who continue to demonstrate it, to hang on to it, even though it doesn't fit with the going trend, um, we're thankful for it. And so, um, so many blessings to you on your continued ministry and on your church, on your beautiful daughters, on your amazing grandchildren. (laughs) Um, You are deeply loved by me and um, by my community. So thank you for a million things, uh, but definitely for being on today. Jen, Jen, stop it. I will not. Stop it. Stop it. That's it. You're not giving me a chance to tell you what a great person you are. And I don't want to turn this into a love fest. I don't. Okay. But but you are. You're an inspiration to me. And uh, again, you're challenging me and stretching me. Uh, We love uh, all all your heart, your heart. And we find common ground on the cross of Christ and the promise of his return. And let's just stand side by side and keep loving each other, loving the church. And let's pray for that revival. Let's pray for fresh a downpour of, uh, you know, I, I read about what happened in the Jesus movement back in the sixties and the seventies. I'd love for that to happen again. Bring out the hippies, you know, (laughs) let's, let's decorate a few of those Volkswagen minivans again, you know, and, uh, but, but we need, we need some hope and, and you're a source of hope for all of us. So God bless you. Thank you, Max. You too. Well, that's it for me. I have had um, all the encouragement that I need for the remainder of 2020. (laughs) So if that served you in any way at all, that's just bonus because I felt like that was my own personal pastoring, spiritual leadership and counseling session. Um, So dear. So precious as Max Licato and so grateful for him and his work. Um, Guys, this whole series, way more of this where it came from. We have some leaders that you love, that you've loved for a long time, that have led for a lot of years. I'm just, you won't want to miss a single episode in the Faith Icon series. So much more to come. So... Um, thank you for being with us. I We have so many dreams for the podcast in 2020, and it all centers on you, all of it. Like our listeners mean the world to us, uh, just the world. We care so much about you. We are so grateful for your loyalty, um, for your commitment. It's every time you like a podcast or listen to it or download it or share it or rate it or review it. I'm just telling you, we, it means 
so much to us. Thank you for all that you've done for this show. Um, we have so much energy to give you this year. We have so many guests to bring you so many important conversations that you've asked for. Um, we're dreaming big dreams guys. So on behalf of um, our producer, Laura, and her whole amazing team. And then, of course, my assistant partner, Amanda, grateful to bring you another year of the podcast. We hope 2020 will be the best one yet. Okay, guys, see you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.